Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops. Welcome to Open Loops with Greg Bornstein. Conversations that bend. I'm your host, Greg Bornstein, and I am what you call, well, a consciousness disruptor, a curator of experience, a cultural hypnotist, a other-than-conscious thought leader, and all-around a looper. What does that mean? What's this show about? Well, it all depends on how you define open loop. We'll get to that in a second. You see, this is Let's say it's like a theme park for your intellect and imagination. A late night talk show for your unconscious mind. Where we explore all sorts of topics that, well, are intellectually escapist, as I would put it. Yes, you see, when it comes to hypnosis, magic, conspiracy, the paranormal, secrets, unexplained, my goal is to bring light to these topics and bring on guests. You see, I want to challenge your existing belief system with radically unique ideas to stimulate your unconscious mind so you can step into the highest version of yourself. Because an open loop is really just that, an unconscious provocation, the proverbial dot dot dot, the cliffhanger, the what is inside the box? I need to know what's inside the box. Well, we open a lot of boxes here and we close old ones in your mind. New perceptions, new ideas. Today's episode, your ideas about the way the world works are definitely going to turn upside down. You see, I brought on Rodney McGilvery, who happens to be a 32nd degree Mason, though he's rising to 33rd level, Templar level, uh, a week after this airs. And he's an author, researcher, and yes, practicing alchemist. I'll tell you what's very exciting to me about this guy. For once, it's not just the metaphorical alchemy. No, no, a practicing dirt turns into gold alchemist they're out there he is one of them he even walks us through an alchemical process in this episode it was a nice deep dive into the history of the masons a little bit we got into it a little bit or at least what the masons are up to as well as groups like the hermetic order of the golden dawn classic uh, occult group and yeah we we answer the age-old question has anyone ever told the truth about turning crap into gold well ronnie answers it 
Rodney brings a lot of insight to these fields. And as of this interview, he has a book that just came out. Pretty cool, actually. It is called Seeking the Gold Within, an Alchemical Explanation of Self. Though the best part about this is that this interview, when it comes to alchemy, it's none of that metaphorical alchemy. I've had a sexual alchemist on the show before. I've had uh, people talk about alchemy in, in a very much, you know, life gives you crap and then you mutate it and turn it into uh, something that is usable. No, no. Even though he has this book, he knows from whence he speaks because he's actually practicing alchemy. The real pre-chemistry alchemy. So cool. You can definitely check out a link to his book in the episode notes, as well as a link to an event that Rodney and I are going to be appearing at. Yes, I am going to be emceeing. Rodney is going to be presenting, along with some other guests who you recognize from the past, at Forgery Unmasked. Yes, this is an event put on by Omar Fazy, who was on the episode of the Hidden History of the Illuminati. Uh, his organization called Watchers Talk, fine podcast in itself, is throwing this event March 27th through 29th. Tickets are uh, through Eventbrite. Check it out in the show notes. I'm going to be there. I hope to see you. And of course, if you like Open Loops, make sure you follow it on Apple Podcast, as well as give the show a rating if you enjoy it. I'll even leave a review. It always helps. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Ronnie's a super cool guy. Enjoy. Rodney McGilvery is here. He is a author and researcher of esoteric and alchemical philosophy, uh, written papers about alchemy for the Carl Jung Institute in Zurich. And uh, I, I'm going to just say it. You are a 32nd degree Mason. Uh, we're going to talk about alchemy. We're going to talk about Freemasonry. We're going to talk about all of it. Rodney, thank you so much for coming on Open Loops. Thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah, I, I, I'm very excited about this. You know, what's interesting is that 32, 32 degrees, how high up is that in these Masonic rankings? Well, in the uh, you start out with the Blue Lodge. You got three degrees within the Blue Lodge. You got the Entered Apprentice degree the fellow craft degree, and then the master mason degree, which is the third degree, uh, which everyone's heard, oh, give somebody the third degree that comes directly from the master mason degree. And then from that, you can go into three specific paths. The path of the 32nd degree is of the Scottish Rite. And then so you have four, degree through the 32nd degree and then you can get invited to the 33rd degree which everyone thinks is the 
a luminous, illustrious degree of masonry, but that is a invitation-only body. But uh, any master mason can go into the Scottish Rite, starting with the fourth degree and work their way up to the 32nd degree. Are, are there benefits you get being higher up than the lower ones? Why, why would somebody want to opt in to climbing up the ladder? From my own personal perspective, the main benefit is knowledge of self. Uh, each degree offers a certain lesson of morality, as well as uh, how to present oneself into the mundane world, as well as the spiritual world. But there's also many out there that choose to join to try to get business connections and to try. It's kind of like the corporate ladder in, in the eyes of some people. Hmm. That's very interesting. Well, I, I'm hoping that you might debunk some of my preconceptions about what the Masons actually are and what I hope them to be. Uh, I look forward to doing so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, well, the whole thing is secrecy. It does feel interesting to me, at least, that this notion of secret society pervades the culture. Uh, even I remember my one of my sisters went to Dartmouth and and they have a secret society there and they they tap you and you're not supposed to know what happens inside this one house and you can't get in and it's invitation only all that stuff uh, what is going on with the secrecy factor in all of this i think it stems back from even like greek times with the start of academia and the college itself which is where freemasonry or the concept of speculative masonry comes from uh, and all these college fraternities stem from the same thing back in greek times but uh, the secrecy itself it, it alludes to being something uh something more and everyone hopes to be of something more and that can be taken at a uh, es esoteric level at a spiritual level and uh it, it's it's also the phrase when the student is ready, the teacher makes his appearance, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I, I sometimes wonder if the secrecy is a ploy to make people think that work that might otherwise be ritualistic and mundane. Okay, I guess here's really my question. What's the difference between being at a high-level Tony Robbins seminar where he's training trainers how to do the magical stuff that these life coaches do, which, again, a lot of the time they talk about themes of morality, themes of self-inquiry, themes of self-discovery, even walking across fire. I'm going, okay, this just sounds like a self-development group with a bunch of people that can network with each other. Right. What makes the Masons a little different? What is, <laughs> is there actual magic at the top? There could be actual magic at the bottom, depending on the person practicing. <laughs> That's um, fair. That's fair. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, it depends on where you're from, too. Because locally, I'm, I'm in Midwest Indiana, and yeah. there's not many Masons locally, which there's a high number of Masons locally. Hardly any of them are actually into or knowledgeable about the esoteric side of Freemasonry or even how it pertains to magical philosophy. A lot of them are scared still 
for example, at, right after I became a master mason, I was invited to join the Indiana Grand Lodge Facebook group. Um, and I, I posted a few esoteric posts as well as my the main post and my final post on there. I posted the alchemical symbolism of Baphomet, which we all know the symbol of Baphomet. A lot of people think it's a symbol of Lucifer, which secretly it might be, but uh, it's not evil. But uh, I posted right. the symbolism of Baphomet along with a photo of Baphomet. And instantly I got banned from the Grand Lodge Facebook page and booted. And now if I even try to go on there, it's like it doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> wow. Because, and that's also tied to, directly to Freemasonry. Albert Pike, who is a 33rd degree Mason, wrote in his book, Morals and Dogma, the symbolism of Baphomet. And he is a high ranking Freemason. And so I, I thought there wouldn't be a problem. But it's because I'm in Indiana. A lot of people are confused with the, uh, the symbolism still. So wait a minute. This organization now feels as if it is uh, potentially as broad as a regular college where some people are doing this kind of work, but then there's another sector of uh, more ritualistic, esoteric stuff happening. Did you come into this for the esoteric side of things? What was your idea of joining the Masons? You are correct. I joined for the esoteric side specifically, mainly because I, I started out a little over 10 years ago. I, I joined a esoteric order called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. I was going to ask uh, about that. I was going to yes. ask. We will dig into that in a little bit because that's some fun stuff as well. But uh, through my teachings and my career in the Golden Dawn, uh, I wanted something a little bit more. It seemed like locally. Well, there was a Golden Dawn Temple at the time locally, and it, it started to disband and dissolve. So I, I knew some friends that were Golden Dawn members that were Freemasons that uh, kind of persuaded me to, to join the Freemasonic fraternity, which I ended up doing. And uh, at first I was disappointed because <clears throat> kind of like what I thought, too, I thought it was like an old man's club with uh, zero lifeblood within it and no esoteric practices going on and mm. it kind of was like that when I first joined the fraternity but the the rich symbolism that I found therein sparked my interest even further and then come to find out I met a few local members that were hardcore into esoteric philosophy and, and the, the weird thing is I made a strong connection through an esoteric post on the Grand Lodge page before I got booted I got a random message from a local member who knew about the Golden Dawn, and uh, <clears throat> he's a high-ranking, <clears throat> excuse me, a high-ranking member of Freemasonry locally, and we made a strong connection, and uh, esoteric philosophy is alive and well here in Indiana, but at a very, very behind-the-scenes level. Yeah, that is fascinating. What does that even ultimately Ronnie, I suppose I'm always looking for magic. 
I'm always looking for it. I'm looking to understand what magic is. I'm looking to understand if there are people that are practicing it. Uh, I, I I think of Aleister Crowley, and I think the most vivid example because you hear about it in random bursts. You hear about it in different in different fashions. I I think Crowley being at the hotel in Central Park and opening up a portal in his maybe it was his apartment or whatever. Doing that kind of work makes me go. Uh, is that what magic is? Is that it's such a vague word? Does esoteric philosophy even mean meeting with a group of men and and summoning beings in the center of the room and and having portals open it up? Or if not, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that. That is the byproduct of what it means. The uh, the, meaning, the meaning of esoteric philosophy is. Knowledge of oneself, knowledge of who you are and what is within you. Um, there is a biblical passage, which is my favorite biblical passage, which is also an Egyptian proverb. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is within you. To find out what the kingdom is, that is esoteric philosophy, the knowledge of who you are. And what is the difference between that versus uh, what you might do with a life coach. It's very similar. I mean, dealing with a life coach is the same thing, but in more mundane, modern terms. I've, I've delved into life coaches, their philosophies and mindfulness. And mindfulness is a huge thing right now. And it's mindfulness is the, the number one selling topic in local bookstores. And it, it does tie in directly to esoteric philosophy. You're bringing out your your inner self to the forefront and becoming your true self. Yeah. What makes the esoteric more interesting than mindfulness, you think? It's more uh, mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's what I'm wondering. Is it yeah. just a semantic way of saying the same thing other people are, but giving it a little more... Uh, I don't know, pizzazz, more unknowing, more uh, does does the execution ultimately live up to the mystery that's promised by calling something an esoteric practice? Kind of. I mean, it, it also depends on who you're talking to, because the term esoteric is actually in the rubrics of Freemasonry, and you got these old business type of guys seeing the term esoteric philosophy and knowing that it means digging into symbolism and whatnot but uh they, they don't understand that it goes a lot deeper and I, I guess that is also the main usage of esoteric philosophy is, is going deeper into reality going deeper into symbolism and specific things regarding reality itself which does tie into the self-help arena, yeah. but uh, the, the esoteric philosophy has to do with a lot of ancient knowledge, which a lot of people in mundane society, they don't understand it. So they see it as mysterious because it's something they don't understand. So I think a lot of these people that uh, write about self-help and trying to bring the law of attraction to your life. These types of people, I think, have a, a small understanding of esoteric philosophy, and they're trying to rewrite that into terms that modern people can understand. 
Yeah. What's a good example of uh, something in your life that has happened that you can go, yeah, see, this isn't just mindfulness. This is a little more mysterious. Well, it's weird. Like I, I've dealt with certain things with my, my mundane job and whatnot where like I, I just imagine things happening and then they end up happening like uh, different job prospects and different clients and whatnot. Um, but it, I, I practice a lot of ceremonial magic to help influence that in my own life. Yeah, that I mean, goes back to the hermetic, uh, the, the Golden Dawn stuff too, right? Yes, which I'm not currently an official member of the Golden Dawn. I dropped out of that when it started to dissolve locally when I joined Freemasonry. But I do practice that same ceremonial magic in my own personal space. Yeah. Have you ever opened a portal? Um, I guess when you start the initiatory process, you open a portal. Because <laughs> your life changes. You know what I mean, Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, okay, here's a good example. I have a friend right now. Who, well, let, well, hold on real quick. Let, oh, me, okay. uh, let me give you a little uh, taste into what's going on. Okay, there sure. is a degree in the Golden Dawn called the portal degree. Really? And that's how you, you step into the inner order through the portal degree. You, uh, you do open up a portal. There, there's, a, uh, there's a hidden layer of reality in between the two pillars of the Golden Dawn. And they also are the same two pillars Boaz and Joachim, which is in Freemasonry. Interesting. Yeah, I always wonder where the overlap is. The over there is the overlap is it's all the same. So all this ceremonial magic, all these initiatory paths are exactly the same thing. Mm. Why why were they codified differently? I think it just codified differently through just different cultures. Yeah. I, I and I uh, when you I'm thinking of uh, yeah I mean what Alistair Crowley uh, Israel Regardi was a student then created the Golden Dawn ostensibly I mean I, I know a little bit about this I don't know the full thing but I'm going there's so many secret societies there's so many there's so much promise and mystery let's debunk this orgies okay. in secret societies are people having sex rituals sex magic is that still a thing going on is it that seems like something that only goes on in france <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute me, me being in uh i i can't even tell if you're sarcastic or not <laughs> <laughs> me being in the flatlands of indiana there's not many magical orgies going down <laughs> but uh <laughs> Well, no, that uh, that happens in certain groups. Aleister Crowley, who uh, founded the Thalemic group, the or the OTO, they delve heavily into sex magic. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Oh, go ahead. Uh, sex magic can be done at a group level and a personal level. I mean, you could practice sex magic as a single person. Right. 
Right. Uh, yeah. I Look, so I, I mentioned this a little early before. I have a friend who is very, very down the rabbit hole of this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Comes comes from a line of Masons, at just recently accepted into uh, one of the Golden Dawn orders. And he's always telling me, oh, Greg, I can't tell you what's happening here. You would have no idea what's happening at the top of these rituals. I'm sworn to secrecy, all this and stuff. He- and he just got initiated <laughs> very recently. He has no idea then. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> so he doesn't I know what's going I highly, on. Yeah, I highly doubt he like flew right to the top right when he joined. <laughs> <laughs> Were you at the top of the Golden Dawn? Uh, not the top. I, I I made friends, really strong friendships with some of the people at the top. It's weird. Like the guy that was in charge of the Golden Dawn Order that I was part of. Uh, we had a, a main temple up in Chicago at the time, and the imperator of that order uh, became very corrupted, which I think uh, actually naturally happens to a leader of any group. He became really corrupted, started to become greedy, started to uh, take people's money and just uh, not really uh, give them the certain grades that they would like. And then he actually right. to, uh, pick and choose, like he would take certain women that he was into and bring them into his inner order without them going through other grades, which everyone else had to do. And then eventually uh, the the other leaders got fed up with it. We all took a vote. We booted the guy. He ended up going off into his own thing and started uh, being a life coach, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. That is messed up. A few years after that, uh, all the other temples around started to dissolve. I mean, there's there's other Golden Dawn orders. That one still is in existence. It's still active, but it's it's not bringing about many uh, fruits. The yeah. fruits of their labor yeah. are not being shown, really. And that's one reason I dropped out. Interesting. This is all very interesting. What's also interesting is the contradictions i feel uh within even modern conversations about esoteric thought because there is so i I feel that there are a lot of people that say oh you know new age and and uh manifest your life and then these are the same people that are also calling out symbolism and saying yeah look this is traces of child abuse and and this illuminati that is doing these child sex sacrifice rituals all this stuff and i'm going yeah so how are the same people that are all about ceremonial magic and being part of secret or also then condemning satanic images and orders it feels a little mucky it's hard to sort out uh what is the role of lucifer in all of this stuff and also can you speak to those contradictions oh definitely uh, first i'll speak on the contradictions it's a lot of people that just have a misunderstanding from the get-go yeah people, i'd they love also, to understand uh, they, well they, they see it as a way to make instant uh, success and money. I mean, like I said, the mindfulness topic is the biggest best-selling section in the local bookstores. So it's easy to grasp onto the, like the, the simple knowledge that's in these mindfulness books and create your own mindfulness books because it's going to be a bestseller right away. Easy way to make money right now. 
And uh, which means they're not going to really dig into the true philosophy and bring forth the true philosophy. That's why that's why a lot of these things are hidden and a lot of these things are re remaining secretive because like the uh, the maxim, do not cast your pearls before a swine. That's one of my favorite sayings. Um, these people are giving information that they have no true knowledge about. So also then they see other conspiracy theories that they don't think is connected to their law of attraction bullshit and uh, are going along because it has to do with their own current religious beliefs as well. Interesting. So then are there, are the Masons engaged in child sacrifice or these? Oh, hell no. <laughs> They're not okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's none I of think, that. Here's where I think this comes from. Um, as most people know, the Catholic Church is hardcore anti-Mason, which look at all of the child abuse going on in the Catholic Church. Right. I think they're taking their own shadow and projecting it upon Masonry. That's interesting. <laughs> They don't like the fact that we are a society of free men that are practicing self-awareness and going beyond the self and trying to, to help society by helping ourselves. I think that's the true goal of the Freemason is to help yourself, to perfect yourself, and then you'll be a reflection of perfection into society and hopefully bring about healing in the world. Wow, that's the most positive pitch for the Masons I may have ever heard. Especially... Well, it needs to be out there because there is a lot of negativity. There and is. Yeah. Even there was, uh, I remember watching with one of my other sisters uh, that uh, we, we were watching one of those shows on History Channel about the history of the Masons and where, where there was a drowning in London and they, they were just connected. But the thing is, of course... Mm -hmm. Those shows like Ancient Aliens, like all the mainstream, quote unquote, esoteric paranormal stuff you see. It was just a bunch of art. Could the Masons have led to this? Could they be responsible? Very vague and very uh, Im implicating of something nefarious. Is the Catholic Church in charge of the History Channel? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know who's in charge of the History Channel, but fear sells, my friend, and conspiracies sell. Because yes. conspiracies sell because nobody has a complete understanding of everything going on in the world. I mean, look at uh, what fear brought to this pandemic going on right now, where everyone is scared of everything now. Yeah, what is your thoughts? Do you believe that oh, on the conspiracy spectrum of things, where are you in terms of – and I, I would say let's consider Q, the ideas of QAnon oh, to be God. the far – okay, so you're not all the way there. I'm not even close to being there. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> celebrities and and I'm, well i also think that's something maybe you can clarify is that the illuminati often gets conflated with the masons because of this secret society oh it's, it still does like uh for example i was recently accused of being illuminati within the fraternity 
Mainly because I started this group last year called the Gnostic Diners Club. Mm. What's and that? And I just—it's just a, a Facebook group where I teach different topics of esoteric philosophy, and I, I dig in alchemy as well. I even I even made videos of me doing some alchemical workings on there, and I I ended up having to delete the group because I, I just got so much negative vibes from that and within the fraternity of masonry where people were saying oh um are you illuminati and then they're saying that they were afraid that certain people like myself are stealing other uh, members of freemasonry and bringing them into the the illuminati which uh is not the truth there was a group that was uh, based in bavaria germany that was a true illuminati group that yeah. did integrate masonry back in the day. What they did was this member, uh, Adam Weishaupt was his name, and he joined Freemasonry after coming up with this idea of this group of enlightened beings or humans and uh, started to just gain members from the Freemason fraternity and bring them into his own group of illumination. And for just means of just gaining more knowledge, more esoteric knowledge. I think it was just a byproduct of Freemasons not really digging that deep into the esoteric symbolism that they're offered. And and they wanted more fruits of their labor. So they uh, started this Illuminati group. And when is about it they weren't trying to take over the world or anything right, right. In your personal belief system, do you think that this claim of an Illuminati running everything. Some say it's the military industrial complex. The Trump right calls it the deep state and will conflate Illuminati with that. Uh, mm -hmm. What are your beliefs on this pervasive uh, system of ideology that's being perpetrated by conspiracy theorists often? All of that would have to do with my own personal beliefs, so it's not reflective on my uh, views on freemasonry or anything but i honestly i think there is a hidden hand controlling society i think society mm. is being engineered at a certain level and i think it has nothing to do with the q people or whatever all that is a bunch of conspiracy theorists that are are seeing little bits of information it's weird because they'll, they'll scream about false news or fake news and then believe every little thing they see elsewhere you know what i mean yes yes absolutely so yeah i think there is there's is probably a hidden hand i mean the world's been around forever it, it'd be weird not to have a hidden hand controlling everything yeah i i, I suppose i wonder how much of the ancient texts support this notion of there are 13 bloodlines and it all comes from them and they're still running things behind the scenes and they put the symbols out there for you to get a vague sense of what they're doing but you never can fully grasp it and there's the sick game of dark and light being played i mean you've done the research into some of these esoteric things does do any of them support that story yeah, speak from an alchemical perspective, and it's weird. I, I just uh, came across this theory that was actually even uh, supported by a Freemason I know. 
that uh, the alchemist Saint Germain, which is one of the most famous alchemists out there, did create the Philosopher's Stone successfully and is still living today. And then after I, I heard this, I did a little research. There is a conspiracy theory out there that ties in with the Masons controlling the world. And this specific conspiracy theory, there's even a website, I forget what it is. If I, if I find it, I'll, I'll send you a link to, to you because it's interesting and, and to me, very humorous that uh, there's a whole website um, about St. Germain still being alive and he's part of the Freemasons and his gold that he has, because with, with the Philosopher's Stone, supposedly you can make an infinite amount of gold is going to be the gold standard when the dollar becomes defunct and we move away from the dollar and we'll go back to gold using St. Germain's supply of gold. And those who need or want to live in that society when it happens, I guess, has to sign a contract. And there's a copy of this contract on this website. And there's a lot of similarities between that contract and the petitions one has to sign to become a Freemason. <laughs> it's really fun. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is very funny. Yeah, I. that is such an interesting – well, look, I mean, let's go into alchemy now. This is, this is great. You are a – would you call yourself a practicing alchemist? Yes, I am a uh, speculative and operative alchemist. Yeah. And here's why I'm so excited about talking to you. I, I started looking into uh, some of your work and and uh, one of the papers you'd written. And normally I feel these days when you hear somebody say, yeah, I'm into alchemy, it is very metaphorical. It's you, it's often a metaphor. It's, oh, I'm bringing these two things together and creating something else. Okay, great. Great use of that. But you, you're actually, it's, it's, well, you're actually doing stuff with, with chemicals and, um, taking, creating new things, which is to me, at least more interesting. Uh, tell us, how'd you even get into alchemy? I actually got into alchemy through my uh, studies in the golden dawn. I met an alchemist in the order and, uh, he was a practicing alchemist with this other order, which was actually um, based in New Zealand, which I ended up joining after I had many discussions about alchemy and it it fascinated me. I mean, I've known about alchemy for a long time, but at a surface level, mainly in the same regard that most people consider alchemy as turning lead into gold and whatnot. Uh, I knew about the spiritual symbolist aspects of alchemy through the, the research of Carl Jung, Carl Jung, actually, he's the godfather of spiritual alchemy, I'd say. Mm. Uh, but after uh, discussing alchemy and seeing the works that uh, my my friend was producing, he was producing multiple tinctures, and he was actually using in uh, ritual work within the Golden Dawn framework. And I uh, I delved into that a little bit with him, uh, did some did some work with him using his tinctures and had some very powerful experiences through that. And it caught my interest to the point I I joined his order that he was part of in New Zealand, which is 
now non-existent. I, I haven't heard from the teacher there in New Zealand for a few years now. Um, I think he just got tired of everyone. A, a lot of people are very, um, I don't very not really reliable with their work. So he probably got tired of people not taking it seriously, like like a lot of orders, especially right. if you're. Especially if you're dealing with ancient ancient knowledge in today's world. Today's world is a very fast-paced world where no one has the attention span to really dig into anything true. And uh, so, yeah, I practiced a little bit, uh, joined that order, learned the, the basics of distillation and whatnot. But then I moved on to my own thing where I, I dug way deeper and uh, that's where I'm at today. I'm still digging deeper and learning new things. And I, I have a brand new idea on alchemical knowledge. And I wrote a paper recently about the acacia plant in regards to immortality. And that's one, the acacia plant is one of the main symbols of the Masonic Master Mason degree. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. Tell me this. When you say there war, were practicing alchemists, uh, at least in the history books in high school, they said, yeah, it was, it was this thing. They were looking for immortality. They were making lead turn into gold, but nobody really actually did it. Uh, were there people that actually did it? Oh, definitely. I've read many, uh, accounts of ancient people turning lead into gold i uh, actually read this historian recently um he's a historian i know in the masonic tradition so i'm not really going to say his name but he was over there in england read about this alchemist read uh, this guy had an uh, account of all of his work up until after he passed away and within this document that this historian found um, knew what library this guy was also doing some research in. And uh, it, it said in this ancient document that uh, he produced a, uh, some gold powder and he hid it within this certain library over in England. And this historian went over there, did some research, asked uh, the librarian at the time for access to certain books that was written by this alchemist and come to find out this guy found an unopened sealed parchment that the, the librarian said he can open it because this guy didn't know what was going on. He could care less. He opened this parchment and there was a small wrapped up portion of powdered gold and he's current this is a, a recent thing and he's currently getting that analyzed like the uh the structure the dna structure of that analyzed that is wild is yeah. that something you want to be able to do oh i would love to do something like that uh, i could see myself definitely doing something like that yeah, I I wonder even what is what exactly is going on there. It it must be I'm wondering because esoteric philosophy often involves uh, stuff with the mind and that law of attraction manifestation thing. Do you mm -hmm. believe that 
some sort of calling from a higher spiritual power had to go into that? Or could you teach kids in a chemist in a chemistry class the breakdown of how this thing became gold? What exactly is that? Yeah, you could you could definitely break that down in a laboratory. I mean, that's where modern chemistry came from was traditional alchemy. And uh, I think uh, as far as I'm concerned, the, the people I know that have delved in the alchemical gold, alchemical gold is a little bit different than your normal natural gold. It'll, I think there's like a certain element that's actually missing that normal natural gold has. So I, I don't, it'd be hard to, uh, to use that for probably financial gains, but I'm not sure because there's probably a way to transmute that even further with adding that other element into it to make it uh, natural gold. That makes sense. Yeah. What, I mean, if, if it is just chemistry, what is the, what is the magical part of alchemy? The magical part of alchemy has to do with uh, the internal workings that, uh, end up happening while you're actually doing lab work it's it's like the hermetic philosophy of as above so below like you'll be doing laboratory alchemy and if you really get into it the uh the processes of the lab are also processes of the mind and of the body and everything so it's it naturally just starts uh, affecting your own persona and you start dealing naturally with uh, spiritual alchemy and, and without even knowing it you are your body and your mind is being processed exactly like the laboratory process holy moly what mm -hmm. what is yeah what is uh well you, you mentioned that plant before what is the work you are doing on a daily basis with this stuff well i uh i'm not really working on echinate or uh what is it, uh Acacia. I'm not doing acacia yet, but I want to. I just I gotta uh, figure out how to do so in a legal standard because um, I'll dig a little bit into it. The acacia plant has a chemical that is derived from it called DMT, which oh I'm yes, DMT is right. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. So DMT is an illicit substance that uh, people that deal drugs can to sell on the black market or on the streets like everyone knows so there's a lot of legal issues holding me back from personally digging digging into dmt and if i work with the the acacia plant i'm gonna be digging into that substance and right now I, i'm not doing so um but i've dealt recently with many plants one one plant or root that I found recently that I really enjoy working with is the uh, ashwagandha root, which is uh, native of India. It's a very potent uh, root, and a lot of those ancient peoples have used it for multiple purposes. It's it's like a I call it the 409 of medicine. <laughs> hmm. It affects a lot of aspects of your health. That's interesting. Tell tell me more. Well, what I did was uh, I have a, a, a local connection of herbs and roots and spices and whatnot. So I w went to my connection. They they had uh, bulk or ashwagandha roots. So I, I just bought a, a huge bag of that starting out. And then what I did was 
Um, it's, it's a process called spagyrics. Spagyrics is the alchemical term for extracting the pure essence of a plant. And uh, you elevate it to a spiritual level, pretty much. And you what I've done, Yes, I've done this many times. And I've actually, I have a lot of different vials of different uh, extracts or tinctures here that I take on a daily basis. And I will say that I have not had the slightest cold for at least two or three years now. Wow. This feels in general, you're speaking about things that it would be amazing if the public knew. If the public knew how to be healthy, that would save a lot of people's lives and it would uh, have a more sustainable planet. We might not be in this situation that we're in in this pandemic. Oh, if- that's true. I mean, a lot of people are so unhealthy, especially in America. We live in a very toxic society, um, especially with like fast food. Everyone's addicted to fast food because of convenience, really. And uh, I think that affects everyone's immune system. If everyone had a really high functioning immune system, they wouldn't really have that big of a problem with this virus. Do you think that this work you're doing has to go mainstream at some point? Well, there are some uh, groups out there that are doing this at a mainstream level. Well, not mainstream enough to the point where the American health organization would, would uh, promote it whatsoever because there's no money involved. <laughs> yes. That's right. the problem. And uh, well, for example, let me give you a little scenario. My, my father right now is, is dealing with um, cancer for, he's been dealing with it for like three years now. And mm-hmm. my, my dad is against dealing with radiation therapy and whatnot. Cause uh, we, I've shown them some research in the past where there have been people that have taken radiation and also some natural therapy as well. Their cancer is cured, but they die from radiation poisoning. Right. And so my dad ended up going to an Indianapolis, Indiana doctor, who's a holistic healer from Greece. He practices here, but his main laboratory work is in Greece because him being a holistic doctor, it's illegal for him to practice here in, in America. So my father would go down there, get his blood work done. They would take his blood work, send it over to Greece. They would create a serum that is specific to his blood work, bring it back here. And my dad would do some, uh, some blood work there to, to put that uh, serum into his bloodstream. And my father has told me he feels the healthy, healthiest he's ever felt. And I've, I've seen him since he's been doing this. He looks healthier than ever. And he's, he's on a holistic path, which is um, illegal in America. Wow. So, so this is, uh, that's remarkable stuff. I know I definitely have gone down the natural cures for cancer rabbit hole before. Uh, I was looking at a lot of stuff just to see what else there was besides chemo. And I wasn't, 
still felt like a risk. It felt like a risk to just go completely supplements and and these plant-based solutions. And uh, even before CBD became popular, people were talking about hemp-based oil solutions for cancer. Do you? It's a tough situation because there's yeah. been successful um, successful stories of people taking radiation and it working perfectly. Right, right. Do you have you isolated what it is about these different tinctures and what you're getting from the plants that is actually extending people's lives? Well, it depends on what plant you're using, like uh, specifically the ashwagandha root that I'm using. Uh, I did a little bit of research on it and found out that there's so many different healthy attributes to it. That's why I started working with it. And what I did was uh, first you you take the uh, well the first step is you need to use find the spirit of the plant realm which is actually ethanol alcohol ethanol alcohol is the spirit of the whole entire plant kingdom and uh, so you could you can get ethanol alcohol pretty much from everything every plant life even fruits and vegetables whatnot. And so what I did was I, I distilled my own ethanol alcohol. And then after I did that, after I got enough pure ethanol alcohol, I uh, took the, the ashwagandha root, blended it up in a blender so it's like a fine powder because it's really rigid and bulky, hard to work with if you don't break it down even further. So after I did that, I... Uh, I took a, a large mason jar, filled it halfway with the, the powder of the ashwagandha root. Then I took my ethanol alcohol that I distilled using a traditional alchemical distil distillation train. I filled the rest of that uh, mason jar all the way to the brim, sealed it with a hermetic seal, then I put it in a dark cabinet that I had. I stored it. It's called a maceration process. That's what this process is. I stored it in the dark cabinet for about 40 days. I like to go with the biblical 40 days just for the, the cycles of the sun. Half, it's, if you dig into the Bible, the cycles of the sun also reflect the cycles of Christ and the path of Moses as well. Um, so after 40 days, I took my maceration, took a cheesecloth, and grabbed another clean Masonic jar. I took the maceration. I took the, the fluid, put it through the cheesecloth. What was left over was two things. I had the pure essence of the plant. And then I had the leftover body of the root, which is called in alchemical terms, um, caput mortem or the death head or the death body or terra damnata, the damned earth. Interesting. Uh, so then, uh, then I'm on two separate paths at this point. Yeah. I take the dead body of the ashwagandha root, put that in a, a cauldron I had and put that on extremely high heat to the point where it, it burnt down. This is called the calcination process. And I 
burnt this plant body until it became a powder. It started out as a gray powder, and then it I burned it some more until it became a black powder. When it became the black powder, it wasn't really going further than that. So what I did was I took the black powder, the black ash of the dead ashwagandha, put it back in my uh, my flask that I had with some more of the ethanol or yeah ethanol alcohol, mixed it up a little bit to purify that ash a little bit more, and then I filtered that through the cheesecloth once more, and then I put that back in my cauldron. Burned it again. This time I started to get white powder or white ashes. And I, I burnt that to the point where I got, eventually I got these white salts. White salts are the, the end of the uh, calcination process. I uh, burnt that to the point where these white salts were so white and I ran them through a distillation train as well purified these white salts to the point where there are white crystals and they even started floating above the flask that I was using. That's how yeah. elevated spiritually they became. What? Yeah. Wow. Do you have any video of this? Ever? Not I, I did before I started deleting some stuff because I started being accused of being Illuminati. But uh, <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> I, I probably got some video somewhere. Um, I'm gonna make some new video because I'm constantly doing this all the time. This is this is my main thing. I, I consider myself an alchemist. That is my religion. I consider alchemy the true religion. Why is that? Because it's everything. Everything in nature goes through a natural alchemical process. All alchemy is is a acceleration of the natural processes of nature. Nature itself goes through an alchemical process. Everything goes through the same process of birth, death, and rebirth. That's all alchemy is. But in a laboratory sense, it's just accelerated. That's such so a then back, Oh, yeah, back go back. To, uh, back to after I got these the pure white salts, which is the salt body. The maceration is considered the, the mercury. Because in uh, alchemy, you got three different elements. You got mercury, sulfur, and salt. And so after I got the maceration complete and I um, got the, uh, the pure essence of the plant, that now was the sulfur. The sulfur has the character of the plant, like all its little attributes, like the healing properties and whatnot. Right. And uh, the salt after I get it, then I recombined everything. I uh, put all that back into the flask I had and I mixed it up. And then I also distilled that product back into my distillation train, distilled it. Oh, I'd say I probably distilled it about five times. And then uh, my final product was this clear fluid of ashwagandha tincture. That is the end result of the spagyric process. And I, I started taking that tincture of ashwagandha. And then uh, I started feeling more energetic than I've ever felt in my life. Um, I felt like I had more lifeblood than ever. Like everything around me just uh, felt good. I, I was really positive. I didn't feel 
any kind of negativity really. Like I felt like I was emanating positivity. Wow. Yeah. And I, I've been taking that ever since I started and I, I delved into other things. Like I did a tincture of echinacea. I did a tincture of uh, elderberry and all these things that build up the immune system. And I literally have not been sick for two or three years, not even with the slightest cold. What's the good, if people who are listening to this, I'm listening to this and going, I want this. I want these supplements. I want to feel this way. What do you tell them? Here's what I did. I wanted to eventually offer these. I don't know. Like I probably started to get a little bit greedy maybe where I thought, oh, this could be a great business. I could sell these to people. You could. And, uh, then I, d- I dug into the business aspect of that. And right away, I'm like, screw this idea. I do not want to deal with the FDA. The FDA, um, when it comes to alchemical tinctures or, or they call them just herbal tinctures, you have to go through the traditional FDA process of getting uh, MSDS sheets made and everything has to be documented. You have to pay for a license through the FDA and all that gets really expensive. And it's something I I don't even, even if I can afford it, which I can right now, I don't want to do it because I don't want to be connected to the FDA. I heard a story about an Amish farmer who was making this, uh, what was it? I think it was some some kind of a balm he was making. And it was a natural balm that he was making. And he put on the label that it cured cancer. And this guy being Amish, he did not have a TV or any um, connection to media to know what uh, modern society has to think about curing cancer, especially in America. So he started offering this natural balm in this farmer's market. and. I guess one of the townspeople that he dealt with was a, a major narc because he turned this guy in and the, the, the feds came and swarmed his farm, arrested the guy. And supposedly this guy is in prison for 65 years for making a natural bomb that he said cured cancer. Oh my gosh. That's horrible. Yeah, it is. And the thing was, he didn't have like a label on there saying this is not FDA approved. I guess if you put like, certain labels like that, you can get away with it, but I don't want to risk it. So I don't offer it for sale. I've been making some, giving it out to friends and whatnot. And I'm thinking I might, if I can get away with it without any problems from the FDA, I I might even offer it to the public for completely no price, just for the sake of healing people. Yeah, this is fascinating stuff. I wonder too, how close is this to this philosopher stone idea. Uh, can you can you share first what is this mythical philosopher's stone and uh, how did it how did the legend of it come about? Well, the philosopher's stone is as old as time itself. I mean, I think it started with the philosopher Paracelsus. I think that's how it became popular. And uh, well, I guess with the Philosopher's Stone, it said that that's how you can transmute lead into gold is by, uh, I guess, once you do transmute the lead to a certain point, it becomes a Philosopher's Stone, and that's you can use that to transmute the gold. But it can be used, I, I think it's you elevate something to a certain point where it becomes perfect and it can't die anymore. And if you take that, it has that same result upon the the person taking it or the thing. Like you can multiply 
that same thing, like the philosopher so many, many times and anything under it, I guess, like, let's say you had uh, the alchemical stone turned to gold, you could multiply gold in any element that's below gold multiple times. And, but, uh, oh yeah, I go ahead. I personally have not seen the philosopher's stone. I've heard many stories of possibilities and possible associates that I know that may have it. I, I honestly believe that it's real. I think it's been written about enough times by ancient alchemists that it has to be real. I mean, why, why is this philosophy even around if it's not? You know what I mean? Why, why does this uh, knowledge still continue to this day, considering how old it is? This goes beyond time. This, this I think, even there's, there's accounts of like Babylonian gods bringing down the philosophy of alchemy to the mortal men. Where is that? that's uh, where can people find out about that? Well, here you can you can look online for uh, Mesopotamian hieroglyphs. It shows the gods of Mesopotamia bringing down. And this is something that's been in question in the ancient uh, history arena for a long time. These ancient gods, why do they have pine cones? Yes. In their hands, giving it down to the mortal men. And here is what I found through my recent research of the acacia plant in regards to immortality and the tradition of Freemasonry is it has to do with DMT. DMT is naturally released in your brain upon birth, upon dreaming, and upon death. Hmm. And if you look at x-rays of the pineal gland, which is in the frontal lobe of your brain, it looks like a pine cone. And I, I honestly think that that represents the pine cone that these ancient gods are bringing down to mankind. The knowledge, I think, of immortality. That is interesting. That is very interesting that it's there. It is a pervasive myth. And does it relate at all to uh, the fountain of youth? Yeah, it all comes from the same thing. Just the concept of immortality. I mean, it's uh, it's said too, like uh, even these alchemical tinctures can uh, bring about the uh, the uh, youthfulness like when i started taking the shashwaganda root extract or tincture that i made i started to feel more energetic more full of life i think that is definitely um considered part of the concept of the fountain of youth i mean a more liveliness yeah do you want to find it are you going to find the stone yes and I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you hope so. I definitely want to find it, and I hope I do. I mean, um, I actually, I have a, a, a brother Mason, a friend of mine, who I work with quite a bit in regards to um, magic and just f talks about philosophy. He's, he's also my uh, friend who I started the Gnostic Diners Club with, and we actually restarted this Gnostic Diners Club. I'll, I'm going to send you an invitation to invite only club and uh i we share this kind of knowledge at a more personal level to people just uh 
people that we we uh, feel that can accept this knowledge and understand it a little bit better than most people. And uh, well, at least somebody that shows interest. A lot of people, they could care less about this kind of knowledge because it doesn't really exist in their realm of sensation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, you're inviting me right now on the air? I will invite you to this Gnostic Diners Club. As soon as the, I'm done on the air, I will send you these. <laughs> <laughs> I am honored. I am honored, folks. This could be a whole new realm of understanding for me. Uh, well, you know, what's interesting is even in the context of this entire interview, Rodney, I'm going, this is a man who is publicly saying he's a 32nd degree Mason and he's an alchemist, which are normally supposed to be things you don't talk too openly about in public what is uh i I guess one thing is i'm just one reason and one reason i came on the show is i'm just uh, i'm tired of the conspiracies people need to understand a little bit more of the reality i'm not giving away any of the secrets really i'm not giving away the secrets of freemasonry that could get me kicked out of masonry i'm giving you general concepts i i guess i mean i'm I'm giving you direct processes on how to do plant alchemy you actually explained an entire alchemical process on this that was wild but it goes way deeper than that the plant kingdom is where you start and that's a good introductory you can dig into three different other kingdoms um, you got the animal kingdom following the plant kingdom, and then you got the mineral kingdom. That's where the true secrets come in play. Oh my gosh. Now, wait a minute. We're going to have to do a little, <laughs> we're going to have to do a little <laughs> clever work around here because I want to know. And again, I don't know how much you're allowed to say, but what are the kinds of things that you can't talk about? in terms of where how deep this thing goes what's happening in the animal kingdom well i'm not going to tell you how to uh get the essence of an animal i mean use your imagination really and uh i will tell you though that uh you can gain attributes of animal life out there by getting the essence of the animal ingest them and then you eventually can gain those attributes that is mind-blowing what (laughs) and and it's different than just eating a a cow yeah you're you're not really you're going to get a little bit maybe of the energy from that cow that's why i i agree with like uh clean uh free roaming uh the meat and whatnot because the processes of the animal going through the slaughterhouse i think will affect the the diet and the the ingestion of the person and will affect your energy afterwards that is something i've never heard before that's really yeah yeah if if an animal dies in a bad way and you eat that animal it's going to definitely affect you as a person the, do you, is that why America is all screwed up? What, what is going on in Europe where they're still eating meat? But I, I don't really know how they're killing animals. Well, there. let's think so, about America for a second. Are we even really eating meat? Let's talk about the fast food industry for just a quick second. Are oh, we please. eating meat? Are these burgers really made of beef? I think there's a lot of plastics involved with foods. Plastics? Um, yeah. What? Wait a minute. This is, this, this is, this is a, a lot of sy- 
Okay. I honestly think there's a lot of synthetic foods going around in the, the American uh, the food culture. Now, here's the thing, if they're not, but there is a beef component. So because I was going to say if it was a completely whatever this beyond beef I've been having throughout this pandemic is, which that's like a plant based uh, burger right, or a plant based. Yeah, it's really delicious. I love it. What is is that? Just like a soy burger or is it? I I don't even know. It feels like a genetically modified. It tastes like beef. It tastes like meat. It actually does. It doesn't just taste like uh, a veggie burger that they threw something together and it's a uh, false. I mean, in veggie yeah, burgers, I've, I've had good. those before, like those frozen Boca burgers and stuff. Yes, I, yes. And it tastes nasty. Yeah. No, no. This Beyond Beef, I really don't understand it. I just know it's meat without any of the meat, and it really is. But the question then becomes, if we're all eating synthetic plastic, if there's no cow involved whatsoever, then um, are we just, well, I guess we're not really taking on anything of consciousness. You hit the nail on the head, my friend, just now. Wow. Consciousness is is key. Consciousness is key, my friend. That's what I think the, the hidden hand that we spoke of previously has to do. With their, if there's a hidden hand, I personally think what they're doing is trying to eliminate consciousness. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, with the phones and the social media and scrolling uh, and, and the deep fake, the rise of the deep fake, the rise of AI, there's it, it really is. Elon Musk doesn't talk enough about spirituality in a way that I would say is conscious. Do you agree with that? Yeah, uh, he speaks of reality just from a techno- technology standpoint. I mean, I don't. Well, he thinks that you can re- uh, upload your consciousness into a computer. Yes, but uh, that—that's a good point. Is—is he, is he saying the consciousness that we are speaking of, or a different form of consciousness? Yeah, it feels very ones and zeros and and binary and and programming and this singularity idea. I wonder in your research of the ancients, is there anything that warns of the time we're in now with regards to the singularity? Well, I think that has to do with the uh, the cycles of the earth that the ancients talked about and that is proven within different hieroglyphs found all over the world i think the world does go through a a cycle and i honestly think like uh atlantis the culture of atlantis was way more advanced than we realize i think they might even be more advanced than we are right now as this society i think you reach a certain point of technology that it destroys you and then the earth itself being a living thing i think it uh it takes over and the cycle starts over again. I don't know. I think the cycles of the world represent the certain status of reality on this planet in regards to uh, technology advancements and whatnot. What does the religion of alchemy point to with regard to that? I think it, it points to uh, you have to be connected to nature. If you lose connection with nature, which this society obviously has done, then uh, you dig into more artificial realities and existence. And that's why uh, I think technology is taking over 
consciousness and the human species as a whole. It's being controlled. We are becoming slaves to technology. And I think uh, to, uh, alchemy itself and even the philosophies of the initiatory systems like Freemasonry can offer a way back to reality through nature and through balance. Balance is key too. We are out completely out of balance. I was going to say, are Masons having Zoom meetings? Oh, definitely. <laughs> We're having more Zoom meetings than ever. It's uh, like I'm part of the Scottish Rite. Our our facility for the Scottish Rites shut down, so we've just been doing Zoom meetings. Yeah, that can't be as powerful as as the the initiation rites of the old times. Well, yeah. Well, when it comes to the meetings, it's definitely not the initiation part of Freemasonry. It's, Outside of the initiatory process, a lot of Freemasonry is strictly a business meeting where you talk right. about the building itself, the funds involved with running the operations and the, uh, the certain social activities and whatnot. Um, I will say that the, the Blue Lodge, at least locally in Indiana, is still active. I actually uh, am preparing for an entered apprentice Actually, no, we, I just did an entered apprentice degree a couple of weeks ago. And right now we're preparing for the fellow craft degree for a new candidate coming in. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I am. Uh, well, I appreciate the offer. Thanks so much. Now, um, look, this is <laughs> this is. Uh, yeah, this is very interesting. All of this. I know I, uh, I I'm definitely thinking about animals and minerals now and the other aspects of alchemy i'm also thinking about the secrets of the freemasons that you haven't been able to share and what kind of okay can you get what's the, what's the quick, te- uh, yeah what's I the teaser of that the whole entire philosophy of freemasonry is alchemy and i will be one of the few if not the only person right now that will tell you such oh. they have lost Majority of Freemasons lost connections to the true meaning of it. The, yeah. uh, the whole entire philosophy and all the symbolism involved has to do with alchemy, a hundred percent. Tell me this: the difference between so you talk through this very, uh, very extensive process with this plant and the stilling, this property, and and you walked us through it. Do you think that people that are making crystal meth are doing anything similar to this process? People making synthetic drugs. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, they're using a, a chemical formula and a, a chemical process. Like a, they're using chemistry and chemistry came from alchemy. You, uh, you act in a similar manner doing both. Is there alchemical? You were talking about DMT before. Yeah. What would you say is the difference between somebody making a synthetic drug, making ecstasy versus someone making an alchemical synthetic drug? I honestly, I don't know if the process would be much different, but I know the purpose of it would be completely different. The, the drug dealer using it for illicit reasons is using it to gain money and the person typically buying um, drugs for a hallucinogenic trip are doing it at a mundane level. They might maybe hint 
to themselves that they want a, maybe a spiritual experience to find God, so to speak. But uh, all of this operates at a very deeper level if you have the mindset of an alchemist. Oh, do you think there are alchemical drug dealers out there? Oh, I'm sure there are. I'm <laughs> sure uh, there are alchemists that uh, provide for themselves and for nefarious reasons as well. In a way, I feel that Timothy Leary is one of these people that might sort of kind of be this. Uh, he he definitely wanted to – I mean, he was a perfect fusion of mind and matter and what well, L we, LSD was doing. You can doing. consider that uh, the government itself and the CIA – I mean, I think Timothy Leary, Leary had connections to the CIA, and they were doing LSD experiments on mankind or on American citizens – during that uh, 60s era, LSD used to be legal in America. Yeah, that is uh, that is a uh, and there's a lot going on right now in terms of sh psychedelic research, people questioning whether microdosing, uh, questioning whether taking LSD in s extremely small doses can sharpen the mind and give well some of the properties you were describing that uh, with the tinctures, feeling sharp, feeling good, feeling not depressed, not feeling sick. Some people have said hallucinogenics taken in extremely small doses can benefit with that uh will drugs ever replace the tinctures from the plants um it already has in a certain regard in america i mean that's why you got the pharmace pharmaceutical industry taking control of all aspects of health and that's why natural paths are illegal pretty much in, in America. You can't really um, offer cures if you're a natural path. There is a natural path business in Indiana that's run by the Amish called the uh, Northern Nutrition. And they offer different tinctures of their own and different medicines. And they also can analyze you but they, they have to do so in, in a certain way. They can't tell you, oh, you have this wrong with you. So here, I'm going to provide this cure for you. They have to do it in a certain way where they're not providing a cure because the, the American health industry with the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical industries, they're going to have their hand in that and they're going to tear down your business, throw you in prison because the FDA, the pharmaceuticals and everything in regards to the health and the government are completely connected. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same when I'm hypnotizing people. You cannot say you're going to cure them. You yeah, can only exactly. help them with the situation. Uh, that is so fascinating. Does this relate to essential oils at all? Essential oils are definitely connected because when you you get that maceration and you um, you extract the the essence from the plant life through that maceration, you're also getting the oils, which are the essential oils that are people that people use and are selling nowadays. It's really popular. Um, there's many books out there. You can there's many companies selling essential oils. You can go to Walmart and get like a Walmart brand essential oil right now. Um, the essential oil is the 
the sulfur of the plant itself. It's got, like I said before, it's got the character and everything. But with the spagyric process, you're taking that oil mixed with the um, alcohol maceration and then the salt body combined. And that's what gives you a complete alchemical tincture. Essential oil oils do offer benefits, but not at the um, extreme level that tinctures or uh, spagyrics can give you because you need that salt body to complete the process. That's got that the salt body got to, has that spiritual level elevation, and it also um, acts as a vehicle for the spirit that you already have too. So without that uh, spiritual vehicle to carry the essence of the plant through your system, you're not going to get a highly elevated product. Yeah. Hey, you know, before we wrap this. This is uh, really educational. I did not know that this alchemical field was so vast and people were actually practicing. Do you ever actually do you ever tell people I'm an alchemist? Yeah, I honestly consider it my religion. I will tell anybody right now. <laughs> what do people do? They what are the they must ask about gold. They must jump right to the lead to gold thing. What what are the most common reactions you get from the people that are even the people close to you when you say, "Yeah, I practice alchemy." Most people where I'm currently at brush it off because I'm I'm like in hillbilly town here in Indiana. They uh, they don't even understand it. It's like they never even heard the word around here. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, what I was going to say. That might not make an impression around people. Yeah. That don't even use but uh, within certain circles, I get more questions like uh, within Freemasonry. I mean, uh, more people know about alchemy, even if they don't know the, uh, the process itself or the theories behind it. They've heard the term because there's a lot of Freemasonic texts out there, books and whatnot that mention alchemy. Um, I, I do get the question of, oh, have you ever made gold or do you know how to make the philosopher's stone and whatnot? I'm like, uh, I really won't tell you what you don't understand, but here's what I can offer you. Just like I am doing with you on this show. Oh, oh, <laughs> what don't I understand right now? Tell me. I want to know. Well, uh just from your questions, really. I mean, you understand a lot. That's why I offered you the invitation to the Gnostic Diners Club. And you show very uh, high interest in such. And uh, I, don't know, I wonder what you're, what are you protecting me from? What are you protecting me from? My gosh. I guess uh, I want your interest to keep going. I want you to keep <laughs> motivated in your, your research yourself. I mean, if you're told everything at once, everyone's motivation and interest completely die out because what else do they have to, to look forward to? You know what I mean? In their own personal research. That's pretty good. So Rodney, I, and I wonder if this goes to your uh, abilities as well, a host as well, because you have this radio show, uh, Ancient Mysteries Revisited, which we'll put the link to all of that. You and uh, Bruce Cunningham interviewing various guests uh, about all these sorts of topics, right? You're talking fringe science and spirituality and ancient mysteries. Uh, is that a podcast too, or? Is it going to be? Well, I got I got it on YouTube. Usually after my, my show airs, I'll put it on YouTube, which I've been a little bit lazy on doing that. Uh, I've kind of lost interest in YouTube. So I've been in, lately just uploading it strictly to Facebook because you can 
I, I, it must be a new function of Facebook where you can upload a whole entire video now. Yeah, which is yeah. Well, we'll link people to the Facebook group for that. Uh, <laughs> you also have your band, uh, Shogoff Amenta. Um, which I mean, look, I, I, I feel we didn't really need to, we didn't really go into it though. I imagine there must be with it, with a Lovecraftian based name, you must, uh, bring some esoteric thought into the music. Oh, definitely. Uh, honestly, my artistic, uh, integrity with my music is definitely derived from my alchemical practices. It's almost like I'm bringing everything within myself and I'm distilling it through my music. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. And you've, you, you have academic papers too, which I'll link to uh, specifically talking about uh, the work with plants you're doing and, and some of this other bigger picture stuff Uh, at the end of the day, do you think how long is it going to take you to get to this philosopher's stone? You think? What's the time? I'm thinking maybe uh, what if it's my life goal? Like what if from birth to death, the whole entire reason I'm alive is to create this. So what if it, it could take my whole life then? Oh my gosh. I want to help you with this. Re- I, I want this research to still be part of it. And also I'm noticing, look, you left me with an open loop because you said there are three paths. You talked about minerals. You talked about animals was there one you didn't say, or was that just plants? Wait, wait, wait. Or, or is there a fourth path? Now, uh, now I'm questioning everything. That is the spiritual realm. Oh, but, uh, interesting. But you get to the spiritual realm. You talk about opening portals. This is how you open the portal. You perfect each realm, and then it digs or it, it creates its own portal into the spiritual realm. Like when you dig into the spagyrics and you perfect the plant life, you're creating a portal from the plant life into the spiritual realm that uh, everything is connected to. So you're getting these little gateways into the one source, which is beyond. This is so interesting. My gosh, Rodney. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe I have hit the mind blown moment of the show. You may have, you may have hit, had me hit the quotient for today. I'm going to have to digest this, think about it, have it integrate, uh, alchemize, self alchemization. Yeah, you are dealing with an alchemical process within yourself right now. And, uh, let me tell your, your audience that every single person is dealing with their own alchemical process, even if they do not realize it. Alchemy is the natural processes of nature, and you are dealing with it in accordance to your own perception and your sphere of sensation. Oh, that is that is deeply hypnotic, what you just said, for sure. Uh, final thoughts, Paulo Coelho, did he ruin alchemy? What's your take? No, I read his book, The Alchemist, and I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I'm interested in certain things that he brought up in that book. Like he even brought up the fact that that uh, that childlike alchemist in the book or the the child that was following the alchemist um, dealt with an ancient form of Christian divination where he had the two coins in his pocket. And if he wanted to make a certain 
decision where he wanted a divine answer, he would take out a coin and that would answer his, his question. That is a true form of Christian divination that was practiced in uh, like the ancient times of the Hebrews in Egypt. Wow. So you think when he wrote that book, he just did his research? Or do you believe he is someone that either practices it or is at least in tune with these philosophies? It could be all of them, all the above, possibly. It's his alchemical book, The Alchemist. It's got a lot of good um, information and knowledge there. But then he's got his goofy self-help books on the side that kind of, to me, diminishes what he's really got to say. <laughs> oh, okay, Paulo, stick to fiction. That's yes. what <laughs> that's the fiction, but without chemical references. <laughs> <laughs> that is that might be the most incendiary thing you've said in this episode, which <laughs> I love. Uh, yes, this has been fascinating. We have, of course, shared this time together, and I hope to I hope to definitely have you on again. Uh, Rodney McGilvery, thank you so much for coming on the show, really. Thank you, Greg. It's been a pleasure and uh, have me on any time, man. It's been fun and I, I look forward to any future discussion. Rodney McGilvery. Yo, this guy's going to become a Templar. And then where's he going next? I think, I think the Illuminati's after. And not the sick, gross kind of Illuminati. I mean, the fun, good old, I know where the Ark of the Covenant is, and I've opened it, and that Indiana Jones stuff is garbage. I've read the Ten Commandments. I'm in control of everything. Basically, Ronnie's gonna become a god. Next is what I'm saying. Anyone that can turn nothing into gold, Maybe it's someone we should pray towards. Open Loops, Greg Bornstein is my name. You're listening to it. Coherent sentence. Can't turn this into gold. That said, I hope you have an amazing day. I thank you for listening. And we will talk soon.